What is happening, everybody out there in the podcast listening universe? This is the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 234, and today's topic is one that is important to me. It's important to me for a lot of different reasons, and it's been important to me for a while, and so I thought, man, it's time to kind of do this in the podcast again. I think I've done this kind of thing before but not quite in this way, but there was some catalyst for this, and I thought, man, okay, this is the topic I want to deal with this week, and it's all about this big, fancy word that we in Christianity call apologetics. Now, uh, to kind of clear the air a little bit on what that word is all about, I'll give you kind of a working definition. So, because uh, people hear that, and they go, oh, apologetics, is that like apology or being apologetic in the sense that you made a mistake, or what does it mean? Well, in Christianity, it means a certain kind of thing. So in the real world, to be apologetic is to say, I'm sorry. But in the Christian world, apologetics is all about the idea of making a defense of the reasons for why we believe what we believe. And this idea comes a little bit out of 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, where the word for give an explanation or give a defense for the faith that is in you, the Greek language, the word there is apologia. And therefore, from that, we've kind of used the Greek word to describe this idea of apologetics. That's the whole thing, right? Um, but I want to talk about this because uh, I have two beliefs on apologetics. And to give you a little bit of background here, um, I have a master's degree in philosophy and apologetics, right? So uh, when when everybody else said, hey, I want to get a Bible master's degree, I said, no, I want to get a philosophy and apologetics degree. Uh, and I had my motivations for it at the time. And so that's what I have tucked in my pocket. I'm just finishing up a second master's right now in leadership. Um, but that first one was an interesting journey for me because in the midst of that journey, uh, I would say I had a real substantial crisis of faith finishing a master's in philosophy and apologetics. And much of that was rooted in the fact that I was doing a lot of work on the problem of evil and suffering, and it really created some whitewater for me. And so, um, you know, really struggled in my faith for a while based on that, came back around to my faith really just from the perspective of not having all the answers or not tidying, it, tidying up all the problems that maybe I wrestled through. Uh, the problems were still there, but for me, it was as simple as, hey, life is better with Jesus. Uh, you know, I felt like I was becoming more enlightened and more dead inside for it. And so my return to faith kind of came not because somebody was able to sit down with me and say, Matt, here's a really great answer for the problem of suffering and evil. Or Matt, here's a really great answer to some of the questions you have about God. Like that didn't really happen for me. It wasn't like the answers were crisp and clean and clear as much as there was just a deeper thing in me of like, man, I I, I feel like something's lacking. Uh, and so the return to my Christian faith and roots and worship of, of Jesus was just really way more related to just like this makes much more sense in my life, brings much more grounding and much more calm into my person. And so weirdly enough, while I have this background in apologetics, the apologetic that brought me back around in my faith wasn't the typical kind of apologetics. And and so part of this then is I go, I think there's other people like me out there that, again, aren't looking for all of the answers, but they need something that's kind of a deeper grounding. And so that's one thing that kind of is driving this for me. The other thing that I want to talk about and and how I want to try to encourage and inspire all of us to think in terms of apologetics is that I think a lot of the equipping and training in this particular corner is not the best training uh, that that the every, everyday person can use when it comes to 
explaining or defending or or articulating a healthy Christian faith. Um, and, and I say this because uh, I, I know of two apologetics conferences that are going to be here in the greater Seattle area in the near future. Uh, one is uh, the, I think it's called the, let's see, the World Apologetics Conference. I got my notes here. And it says they will be sharing on topics such as why you can trust the Bible, why Jesus still matters even if you don't trust the Bible, and what the Bible says about prophecy, the last days, prophecies for Israel, Iran, the Arab states, cultural Marxism, arguments for God's existence, and much, much more. Half of that list is not apologetics to me. The other half, I think, is apologetics, but I, I, I look and I go, that's a lot more like reinforcing to Christians what Christians think about Christian things, and that isn't quite the same as trying to articulate a, a working knowledge of the advantages of Jesus in our regular lives for those who may be disbelievers. Like that's really the purpose of apologetics is to give explanation or articulation to them. And I kind of read over that list. And I'm like, half of that list isn't apologetics. It's just kind of speaking to the choir, preaching to them in such a way that they get more excited about what it is they believe. The second conference, the Apologia Conference is what it's called, is all about defending faith, family, and freedom. And I heard the radio spot the other day when I was driving, and it was like, we have to stand up and fight for these things. And I'm listening to that one going, that's very much not apologetics. That is like... um a Christian patriots rally, you know, and, and it's great that we care about faith and family and freedom, but that's not apologetics either, right? Because again, what that, even as I listened to the radio spot on it, I thought this sounds more like, uh, we're going to, we're going to have a conference on vilifying the majority of our culture or anybody that stands against faith, family, and freedom as we define it. Uh, and so it didn't sound like trying to reach out to lost people. It sounded like it was going to be more about warning believing people about the dangers of lost people and how lost people want to destroy your family, remove your freedoms, and obliterate your faith. And and so I, I, I just hearing all of that, I thought, man, I, I want to speak to this because I do think that we live in kind of a season right now where we feel oftentimes maybe as Christians pinned against the wall. When it comes to society, we feel like they're sort of out to get us maybe in some way. We feel like all these things are eroding and our faith is under attack. And what breaks my heart about that is that it puts us oftentimes then in a defensive posture when it comes to our faith, as opposed to how do we defend the tenets of our faith. And then even there, I really struggle with that word defend, because really what we should be thinking in terms of is how we uh, actualize, articulate, embody, incarnate our faith to the world around us. And that means we're not looking at the world around us as though they're out to get us or they're against us, but rather we're looking at the world around us saying, hey, I get to be the ambassador. I get to be the missionary. I get to be the one that helps them see a really clear vision of who Jesus is, how Jesus calls us to live, and how that can actually produce the very world that people are seeking, right? Because one of the things I really have a conviction about is the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is the way that Jesus changes the world. And many of the things in the Sermon on the Mount are things that disbelieving people want to see in their world. Now, I'm not going to say they want to see everything in the Sermon on the Mount, but many things that Jesus advocates for, the world is trying to create in its own way and in its or on its own terms in some ways, right? So they want peace. They want civility. They want a sense of mutual respect. They want uh, acceptance. They want love of neighbor. You know, like they, they want those things too, right? And so 
more than us looking at them saying, well, be, the the means by which you try to get to that is so sinister. We're the only ones with the right answer, and we've got to stand against you because you have the wrong answers. Instead, we should be living out this thing that they actually do kind of crave, and maybe from that they'll be like, wow, you, you Christians are doing that in such a way that is gracious and kind and thoughtful and sacrificial and, and everything else, and, and you're, you're wanting my best in the midst of that because you see me as your neighbor as opposed to you see me as your enemy. Like, all of that, I think, is much more compelling as we would embody that space than kind of what I'm seeing out of a lot of the apologetics market, especially right now, which is way more about warning you of the dangers of a lost world. See, that part, I think I I battle with a little bit because the day we signed up to Jesus, unless we just weren't paying attention, uh, we pretty much said, hey, Jesus, I understand that in following you, there's going to be people that set their will against me. And in that, it's an opportunity for me to showcase you and, and, and love them even if they're hostile to me, right? So so when I see like that one apologetics conference where it's like we have to stand up and defend against the onslaught of whatever it is, right? The social Marxists in the one conference or just the people that are trying to destroy your family in the other conference, uh, both of those things I go – I, I, I get concerned that what it's going to do is create a posture where we look at the disbelieving culture around us and we're struggling with it. And and so because of that, then I go, maybe we need to look uh, at our apologetics from a different point of view. And and even in that kind of understand that the the things that we're seeking to accomplish and the ways that we accomplish that uh, are, are needing to be refined to some degree so that we can actually honor the spirit of what apologetics is all about, which is not to make a defense against disbelieving people, but rather to articulate in a healthy way uh, what it is that we hold dear. And from that, hopefully we can see people won over or at least better uh, educated as it relates to our faith in some ways. And so I, I think the posture that I'm going to advocate for in today's podcast is less about that we need to take a stand and rather what we need to do is lend a hand and, and that should be our apologetics. The other thing in light of all of this that I've been thinking about as it comes down to apologetics is that I do think oftentimes the ways that we've equipped people in conferences or whatever for apologetics are with information that isn't terribly user-friendly, right? Because oftentimes the arguments are deep and detailed and complicated and to remember all of those details and then be able to say that in real time with a person that has questions about our faith, very hard to do. Even uh, something as as universal as the problem of suffering and evil, the apologetic answer for those problems is sometimes so detailed. You go to a conference, you hear the answer, you're like, that's great. I'm going to remember that somehow, all 15 points of that. And then you can't. And then somebody goes, well, why is there suffering and evil if God is a good and loving God and has all power? And you're like, I don't know, you know? And and so I, I just keep analyzing and trying to think in terms of, I think Jesus intended a user-friendly faith. I think we should think in terms of creating user-friendly kind of tools. Uh, and especially in the realm of apologetics, I think we need to do that as well. And so uh, for all of that, I'm like, then maybe we can do this differently. Maybe we should do it differently. And then in that, we can do it in such a way that anybody can do this apologetics. And that's the best part, right? So uh, what I'm going to share today is less like, oh, you got to remember all this stuff, though I do have five points that might be 
a little less user-friendly than it should be. But many of these things are going to be pretty intuitive already for your life. And so with that, these five things, I think, are the most helpful form of apologetics in our world. And I think they get to the real root of what we need to address today because, like I was saying, the, the conferences of today, they're really more about rallying Christians to Christian things But our calling is to be a little different and to do this for the sake of those around us who are disbelieving people. And so I want to start off with this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 that really is kind of the the anchoring point of um, apologetics in general. And uh, I think in that the tone and temperament of the apologetics that we are to wield. And so uh, Peter says it this way. He says, now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good, right? Big question mark, right? And and part of this you got to understand in, in 1 Peter he does two things there. He speaks of the suffering that Christians are going through that they have earned due to bad behavior. And he says, that's on you. You are being sinful, selfish, feisty, fighting, dumb, whatever, and you get persecuted for it. That's not persecution. That's punishment for foolish action. He says, you just have to bear the burden of that. But he says, there's also the reality that you can be doing good and you're getting pummeled for that. And that is, in fact, persecution. And so he's kind of talking about two different things. Here he's talking about authentic persecution for doing right things and you're getting kind of punched in the face for it, so to speak, metaphorically at least, right? So he says, uh, who will harm you if you are doing good? And part of his point there is like, if you're just being a really good person in the context of your society, which is chapter two, when he talks about like honoring the government and those in authority and being thoughtful to your boss and all of that, like, you know, he talks about like, hey, if, if you're not being feisty, but you're being helpful, who's going to do anything bad to you? You're a blessing to the community. But if you're doing good and you're getting kind of throttled for it, okay, then how do you handle that? He says, well, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats, which is why then the apologetics conference, it's all about we need to take a stand for faith, freedom, and family because the world is coming at us and against us. I go, well, we shouldn't be worried or afraid. That's So to rally an entire conference around be afraid that these three things are going to be taken from you kind of misses the point of Peter's thing here. So he says, instead of doing that, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, right? So And what's great about this, too, is there's two things kind of in there. One is when we're more focused on him than the the threats that may be around us, we're going to be way more calm and settled. But the other thing is you're worshiping Jesus as Lord of your life, which means you're saying the way he tells me to do things, the things that he asks of my life, like in the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, that's what I'm going to do, right? Because he's Lord of my life. That's the stuff that he has commissioned me to engage in. And I'm going to do those things. And even in doing those things, like I said earlier, it's it's doing things that the world itself hungers for, wants, and wants to mimic apart from Jesus. We can do those things in the context of Jesus, right? So instead, first off, worship Jesus as Lord of your life, right? And then from that, if someone asks you about your hope As a believer, hope, not fear, not concern, not worry, but hope, right? As a believer, you will always be ready to explain it. You'll be able to say like, this is why I'm hopeful. This is why I'm positive. This is why I don't get entangled into all the earthly fears that are around us, right? Because I have this relationship to Jesus. He says, so you're going to do this. You're always going to be ready to explain it when that kind of time comes. He says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 
Then, when people speak evil against you, they will be ashamed for what they have said because really they're saying stuff in relationship to you having a good life and you're living it in such a way that you show the world that you belong to Christ, right? That's the whole thing. So he says, remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. And so there's a whole thing in there, right, where at the epicenter of it, it's, hey, have hope. Don't have fear. Be prepared to share with others what your hope is all about, but do so in a gentle and respectful way. And this is one of the things sometimes even when I watch debates or listen to debates between like an atheist and a Christian. And and so often there's like the, the, the Christian debater is trying to do the gotcha or how dumb this other idea is and how ludicrous atheism is and how, you know, and, and I go like that, that's not gentle and respectful. Uh, and, and, and so maybe our, our focus has to be a little different, right? So kind of based on that passage, based on my experience and based on trying to give you the listener or viewer some useful tools, here is the route that I think everybody should do apologetics. And the good news is everybody can do this kind of apologetics because it doesn't demand that much of you to do it, right? And so that's the good part. This is like apologetics 101 or apologetics for dummies or whatever else. We can all do it, which is great news. And so here's the first point. It's one part humility, right? Just based on what he said there, gentle and respectful way. The first thing we need to do in the context of how we uh, articulate our faith is we need to be humble in the process of that, right? I think sometimes the articulations are uh, rooted in almost like an aggressive certainty. I don't think you have to have aggressive certainty to make the point. In fact, I find often if I'm talking to somebody who holds a view that's different than mine and they're aggressively certain, I am less interested in what they're saying because then it feels like an attack or it feels like they think I'm dumb and, and they're smart. And, and then from that, I become defensive or I just shut down or I see them as being too pushy or punkish or whatever. And, and that's not going to foster bridging any gaps, right? We're not going to press into one another from that kind of position. So the first thing we want to do in all of life is not feel like I'm only doing a good job of defending the faith if I'm assertive or aggressive or certain in the context of that. No, I think what's important here is maybe an inner conviction that presents itself in a genuinely humble way, in a calm, caring way, right? That That's the first component in all of this. Because again, tone matters. Like most of communication is related to tone. And if you think about maybe some of the people in your world that are turned off to Christianity or turned off to Christians or turned off to faith, when you quiz them, one of the things that's going to come up is the fact that there's this sense of, well, people of faith are judgmental. People of faith think they have all the answers. People of faith think they're just right. And and therefore, part of what we're trying to do is alter the, the context of tone because that causes a person to lean, lean forward versus lean back. So first part of this, our, our apologetics is one part, humility. Super easy as far as on paper. Sometimes tough to practice. Like I totally get that. Uh, especially if you're dealing with somebody that maybe sees your faith as dumb or sees your answers as ludicrous, or notions of an invisible God in the sky, they're making fun of it, and they talk about spaghetti monsters, and all the other things that you might hear from disbelieving people, or atheistic people, or whatever, people of other backgrounds of faith, um, by staying humble in the context of those conversations, it actually, it reveals a reality of God at a different level, 
right? Because if we can stay in the, the pocket of peacemaker, if we can stay in the pocket of gentle and humble, uh, you know, that respectful thing that, that Peter's talking about there, if we can stay in that space when when somebody is coming a, maybe against what we hold dear, that models to them that, you know what, we have a, a confidence that goes beyond just words uh, and we can be calm even when maybe somebody is setting their their will or their aggressions or their opinions against us. And we can just keep pressing in and loving them because that's what, really what you're getting to do in that humble position is you're saying, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. Like the ultimate extreme of that is actual physical persecution. When uh, Christians say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take my knee and calm. I'm going to let you take my life and I'm going to be unfazed in that space. Like when you see footage of, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, like in the Middle East where they line up like 25 Christians in orange jumpsuits and they execute them one by one simply for being Christian. But those Christians walked out calmly, took a knee calmly, gave their lives calmly. They weren't screaming, yelling, spitting, cursing, warning, demanding. You know, they had the same posture of Jesus of like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Like that is humility. That is calm. And that is a powerful apologetic. So in our own lives, instead of being defensive or feeling um, cornered and therefore we, we find, feel like we need to fight, right? Uh, to be chill is to be a good apologist. So that's the first thing. The second part of our apologetics that we need in the modern era, in my opinion, is apology, right? So what I'm saying there is, there are things that we should apologize for. I think about this with um, like Nehemiah, for example, right? So Nehemiah is a part of the, the group of people that are going to finally come back to the, the, the promised land of Israel. They're going to come back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the walls, rebuild the city after a very long stay in exile. And Nehemiah goes to God and he has this prayer of repentance on behalf of the nation for sins that he didn't do. For sins his generation didn't even do, but he feels the need to repent of the sins of his forefathers before he goes back into the promised land. And I think that's really valuable in the apologetics land. I found that recently on, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago in the podcast where I had posted something online and it kind of blew up. And it blew up because there was Christians feeling like I was a Benedict Arnold to Christianity by saying, hey, Christians, we need to clean up our act, especially Christian leaders and Christian ministries that have pretty catastrophic blowouts and and it keeps happening. I mean, even this week I went on my Christian post news site and there was more than one pastor that was in big trouble for really hideous things. And so once again, I'm like, man, like, why is there so much like decadence inside the house with Christian leaders? When there is, we don't want to just sweep that under the rug because we go, oh, if the world sees that, then they're going to have a bad opinion. The world does see it. They do have a bad opinion. And what we need to do to reconcile and remedy that is to say, you know what, world? You are right. I 100% agree with you. That is not right behavior. That is not the way of Jesus. Those are those are wrong and bad things. And I'm in solidarity with you. We need to clean up our own shop before we worry about your shop. We've got plenty of planks in our own eyes to deal with before we start talking about the speck in your eye. Like, like that kind of apology level gets you tremendous mileage because what I was saying seeing in my little blow-up post is that all of the people that have been a part of my past that have walked away from their faith, they were private messaging me or they were posting or whatever saying, thank you. This is starting to rebuild my trust in, in the institutional church. 
because you're at least willing to acknowledge your your flaws and your sins or the the flaws and sins of your of your team or your tribe and that makes me feel like oh maybe they can fix it because they're honest enough to realize it's broken that's been one of the big dilemmas for a lot of people that go you know what why would i join a group that is that dysfunctional and then you guys aren't openly calling all of that dysfunctional so the apology part says you're right. I don't want to defend my bad behaviors. I don't want to simply say, well, because I know Jesus, I'm automatically better and I shouldn't be as as um, judicious in our problems. No, we want to say, forgive us for that. Forgive us for our flaws. Forgive us for our recklessness. Forgive us for our hypocrisy or inconsistency. Uh, and, and, and then in that, having that first point of the humility in relationship to the apology, that gets a lot of traction in the disbelieving world because that's Think about it this way. Have you ever seen an athlete who did something really foolish or an actor that did something foolish or a politician and then they come out and they go, you know what? Totally screwed up. Totally own it. That's on me. I was an idiot. Please forgive me. Like rarely do people go, you know what? No, that's stupid. No, for the most part, they go, I respect that. Like you took ownership of it. People respect when others take ownership of things. And for us as Christians, we should take some ownership, even if it's not our own personal bad behaviors. There's been bad behaviors. And by recognizing that and saying, yep, that was totally wrong, it gives credibility that we can be self-aware, self-assessing, and from that we want to do it different. Uh, because the only way you can go forward and, and make you know, the space that we are in a better place is recognizing where it's not been a better place and openly acknowledging that, repenting of it, and moving forward. So in the new apologetic, it isn't just like, hey, we have to have the answer for everything, but rather we need to have an awareness of everything. And some of the things that are unhealthy, we need to be repentant of toward a lost world, acknowledge that toward a lost world, uh, and and be humble enough to then course correct those things. So the second thing is, hey, when somebody says, well, what about the Inquisition? Yes, that was really bad. I 100% agree with you. Uh, you know, or, or what about how it was the Christian South that was endorsing racism and, and slavery? Yes, I 100% agree with you. That was really a terrible, terrible thing. There was no defense for those things. What about Ravi Zacharias' ministry? What about Mars Hill? Yes, totally wrong. I 100% agree with you. Absolute abuses. That's not the stuff of Jesus. Well, what about the politics of, of evangelical Christians? Yes, I agree. Many of those things, very broken, not the way of Jesus. Like, so, so, you know, it's those kinds of things where it's okay to give up some ground when there's no reason to keep that ground or hold that ground because we all agree that's not sacred ground to hold on to. That's, that's, that's sinful soil. We should address that and move forward, right? So apology is a pretty powerful thing. Even if it's not apologizing for things we personally did, there are things in our heritage or in our current climate we should address. That's the second thing. Another part in all of this that we want to have is a healthy apologetic. You ready? Honesty. Honesty, which I know that seems a little strange, but here's what I mean. There are things that we have in our Christian orthodoxy that if we're honest can be troubling, and when we come across those troubling things, instead of saying, well, I just need to have the airtight answer, sometimes the best answer is, honestly, I don't know. Or honestly, that concerns me too. Or honestly, I lose sleep over that one. Like like that whole thing right there at least disarms the person where they go, well, what about this? And you go, honestly, I struggle with that one too. That's okay. I think sometimes we always feel like, no, we have to have an answer for everything. No, Peter didn't say, we have to have an answer for everything. He says, you have to have an answer for the hope 
that is within you and do it with gentleness and respect. So part of the thing I find in apologetics sometimes in the technical sense is you have a, a Christian author or speaker that's trying to come up with a solution to every conceivable question and problem or critique or criticism. And some of the answers, frankly, are not great answers. Like, you know, we're hobbling it together to give something, but if you're honest, you kind of look at it with, you know, like a cross-eyed, like, I don't know about that answer, right? And so sometimes you just go, honestly, I don't know. So for example, here's one for me. Somebody goes, so you're telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. Everybody who's ever lived that didn't hear of Jesus, believe in Jesus, know of Jesus, they've all died and gone to hell. Uh, And therefore, in the end, hell will be populated million times fold heaven, right? So hell will be laden and loaded with billions and billions and billions and billions of every human being that has ever lived for thousands of years that didn't believe in Jesus. And heaven, by comparison, will be micro-populated and God does all of that, you know, Matt, so so is that what you're saying? Is that not troubling to you? Here's my answer. That is tremendously troubling to me. I'm honest about that. It troubles me, right? So now some right now, you're already gonna be like, well, that seems like a sellout. No, that's just being honest. Like I honestly go like one of the areas that for me, I'm not saying I don't affirm it. What I'm saying is I'm deeply troubled by something that I affirm. I think that's the thing that that God's big enough to handle. He's big enough to handle like, hey, I put this in the book and it's going to seem very out of rhythm with the way you perceive issues of love and forgiveness and, 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 you know, uh, justice and everything else. Like you're going to struggle with that as a human being because it, it seems pretty blunt. It's okay to say, I struggle with that. I'm not saying I'm changing the system of it. I'm saying, I honestly could say I struggle with that. Or if they go, well, what about the Old Testament and how God said, go kill the the men, fine, but the women, the babies, all the animals, what did the animals do? What did the babies do? Um, why why did David sing a song about the the dashing babies on the rocks of, you know, your enemies' babies on the rocks? Like, that's a worship song. Like, what are you people reading in that book? It's okay to say, honestly, I don't know what to do with that. Honestly, I find that troubling. Um, you know, I don't want to sing David's song. You know, like, like it's okay to do that because the content's there. And if we act like we're cold to it or callous to it or, well, that was then and that's what God said. And, and, and you know, we detach ourselves emotionally from the text. That doesn't seem terribly honest in a lot of ways. That almost seems like denial. Like, I know it's there, but I, it doesn't bother me. I, I got past that one. It's okay to say, no, I'm, I'm not past that one or I don't know or, yeah, I, there's maybe more to the story that I don't fully have revealed to me. Uh, and it's okay to just be honest about that. So I, I don't feel like sometimes when when a real tough problem occurs that maybe even you struggle with, it's that you feel like you can't say you struggle with that. Um, I think people much more respect that we say, yeah, that's bothersome. Uh, I lose sleep over that. I don't know what to do with that. Um, but I'm not letting that one thing dictate my, the whole of my Christian experience, but I do acknowledge that there's some stuff that I don't know what to do with that, right? So so honesty is going to be super valuable. And I think, again, 
by and large, people appreciate that. Now, some people will not be satisfied by that. They'll be like, well, if you find that so troubling, don't you think you should just walk away at this point? Because that's a pretty big deal, right? And and it's okay to be like, no, I'm, it doesn't cause me to walk away, but it also doesn't cause me to whitewash it. So I just let there be a troubling tension emotionally in me on certain topics, right? The problem of suffering and evil, like I shared earlier, was the thing that caused me to lose my faith for a season. When I came back, the problem of suffering and evil remained. It's still there. I still have some some struggle with it you, you know as far as i go if god is all loving and god is all powerful and he's watching you know like events in ukraine right now he's literally watching soldiers killing you know pregnant women and and he has the power to stop it but doesn't stop it you know i go yeah i struggle with that tension that but it's it's okay to struggle it would be inhuman to not struggle with that tension. And so even though I can kind of understand that there's nuances in which I can kind of bring some philosophical thought to the problem of suffering and evil as it relates to God and how he does or does not intervene and the overall meta narrative that's being taught of the Bible, I can go into all those details. Even for all the details, it doesn't change the fact that emotionally for me and to some degree philosophically for me, there's still pressure, tension, and a troublesome spirit on certain topics. Now, there's a lot more topics that are just inspiring to me, motivate me, mobilize me. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, Fruit of the Spirit, Definition of Love, all that stuff I like to bang the drum on around here. That stuff is what makes me go, my faith has tremendous redemptive value and actually speaks into the problems of the evils of our society. Like if we can continue to just build momentum around those four texts and we are missionaries to the world with those four sections of scripture, modeling that, living that, doing that, emphasizing that, those very things can change the tide of things like Ukraine, Russia, broken societies, dysfunction between people, hatred, warfare, the list goes on and on and on. The message of the kingdom is meant to unearth and upend all those terrible things. And so even when I run across a hard thing that I'm honest about, I can still go, but here's why I have hope and I can share it with you. These kinds of passages, these ideas, the person of Jesus, that gives me inspiration. And so even though I might have hard topics that bother me and I struggle with deeply and sometimes even to the point of like inner intellectual anxiety on some topics, what brings me back to center is the person of Jesus, right? And what Jesus is doing in the world through his master plan of the kingdom, right? So all of that brings me back to center. So it's okay to be just honest about those things. So humility, apology, honesty. Now, in the midst of this is the next point. We want to bring clarity. Part of apologetics uh, is to articulate what it is we believe, why we believe it, how we implement what we believe. That kind of clarity is excellent. And that's what we want to bring to the world around us because I think there are mischaracterizations, misrepresentations of Christianity, some earned, some not earned, right? So some characterizations have been earned because we've probably aligned ourselves too often in recent years with certain political ideologies. We've let our politics probably lead us more than our our theology. We've let um, the Constitution drive us a little bit more than perhaps Scripture. And, and, and so people go, oh, well, Christians are this amalgamation of one part politics, one part Jesus, one part you know, American dream, one part, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and we go, no, 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 let me clarify. Let me pry the pieces out. Here's the authentic Christian faith as best as I can articulate it. I want to clarify that. I want to clarify questions that you may have about that. I want to do to the best of my ability. I want to clarify some of the tough spots. And some of that clarity was what we were just saying, where I said, being honest, like 
I'm going to clarify for you the problem of hell being massively more populated than heaven. Here's my clarity. Honestly, I'm troubled. I don't know what to do with it, but I just have to trust God and all of that, that as the, the sober supreme judge, he knows what he's doing on that. But I'm still troubled. There's my clarity, right? You know, it's like, so clarity is sometimes just the clarity of saying, I don't have the answer. Or as best as I can, here's how I've worked that through. Sometimes the clarity isn't the technicality as much as just you giving your own story because you're smart, right? You think about stuff. It's not like you don't think about these kinds of problems or things that people have against our faith. You've worked them through. You hold to your faith for reasons. And so that's the clarity point. And that the, the best news about this is anybody can do it. That's what's so cool about this, right? Anybody can do these things. And this is why I want to put apologetics back in people's hands and have them have the confidence to say, I can do this because you can frankly do all of this off the cuff. That's what makes it work so well, right? And so all you're doing is saying, hey, here's how I've... I've, I've, I've tried to struggle through this stuff and here's how I've come to a sense of peace or calm or solution or conclusion uh, about the things that I hold in my life, right? That's pretty easy to do because it's just your story, right? Now with that, there may be some things where you're like, that's way above my pay grade. You just share that. That's above my pay grade. I don't know what to do with that, right? There's certainly tools out there that you could go find to give some answers to tough things. And then there's some tough things that there are no real good answers to and it's okay to be that way because you know what this is called? It's called the Christian faith not called the Christian fact, right? The whole thing is predicated on, on faith in the unseen, faith in the hoped for, faith in what is yet to come. Um, you know, I mean, even the end of John where he's like, you know, blessed are those who see and believe, but more blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. Or what we see in Hebrews as far as, you know, faith is in things that are unseen. And, and so part of our interaction here and the clarifying is just conceding the fact that we are holding to something that is primarily a faith concept. It's not a fact concept. It's not an answer for everything concept. It's a faith concept. And I think people can respect that. Just even that goes back to the honesty and humility factors. They can respect those things, right? So clarify whatever it is, you just bring clarity. That becomes the mission. And then last is authenticity. And authenticity is you being your best you for the sake of Jesus. That's the authenticity, right? So as you're doing this whole thing and you're interacting with people and you're trying to help bring all that humility, apology, honesty, clarity, just be yourself in the midst of that. Don't feel like you need to suddenly inhabit a new type of personality or a new mind or you have to get into this posture now to be able to do this right. Don't need to do any of that. You don't need to channel other things. You just need to be you because that's also a very compelling thing for people when they go, you you seem to have like... Your faith is yours and they see that it's yours. That can That is an agency about us that people can take note of. And so I found that in my own life, even if it's somebody that holds a, a view very different than me, maybe it's not related to faith. Maybe it's related to something else like politics or social uh, commentary or you know economics or whatever else. But I, I find that when they're leveraging their apologetic toward me on whatever their topic is, because that's really what everything comes down to is a type of apologetics. Everybody is kind of being an evangelist of something in some capacity, right? Which is funny. Even companies like Microsoft now have evangelists. Literally, that's their title in the company. And their job is what? To win people over to whatever their thing they're the evangelist of. 
Well, in the same way here, to be an apologist is to be an evangelist. And to really be an evangelist is simply saying you are an emissary of an idea. And the more that idea is indigenous to you, you have personal ownership of it. It is defining you. And therefore, you can share it by defining it in a way that is true to you. That's authenticity. And that's what wins people over as much as, like I was saying, when I talk to somebody of a different belief system than me about whatever it is. It doesn't have to be religious. But if they have those same features of humility, apology, honesty, clarity, authenticity, I lean in. I want to know more. I become sympathetic to what it is they're advocating for. Um, I go, oh, or, or at least I go, I, I see their position a lot better now, right? Because they didn't have the defensive posture. They didn't have the, the pressing, demanding, belittling posture. Maybe they just, they just really wanted to help me get where they're coming from. And I think that is the core of apologetics, helping people get where we're coming from. And that means we're the servant in that relationship. We're not trying to master them. We're not trying to best them, beat them, win over them in the negative sense, but rather we want to win them over in the positive sense. And I think if we're having that kind of ambassador spirit, that kind of win the person over, that kind of I'm here to serve you, help you understand where I'm coming from and why my faith means what it does mean to me, uh, the hope that Jesus gives to me, the sense of peace and calm and and not feeling the need to grapple and fight and and pout and scream and worry and threaten and you know, all that stuff. The more we just lean into being like Jesus in our apologetics, the more we will be effective everyday missionaries. <laughs>